Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Our scripture reading this morning was part of the children's story, but we'll go ahead and read it as a scripture reading as well. If you want to follow along, you can turn to Psalm um, 56. And actually, you probably don't even need to turn there. You probably know it by heart. Psalm 56.3. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Well, the song that Nathan and I just sang for special music is called I Am, and it's by Jill Phillips. I've been singing that song now for about 23 years, but the words are really timeless for me. Even though God is not a mother, so to speak, the comfort that he gives me through a lot of tumultuous times has been like the warmth of a loving mother when she holds her baby close. His love has been constant, unfailing, gentle, and tender during so many seasons of my life where I was trembling. Now that I am a mother and caring for a chaotic household and the daily tasks of cooking, cleaning, teaching, nursing, I have a new perspective on God's love for me. So I pray that this sermon, the words that I speak today, even though they might not be the same struggles that you're having, that you would recognize God's tender mercies in your own life. Please bow your heads for prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you um, knowing that I'm not perfect, Lord, nor do I have the perfect words to say. But I ask that you would speak through me and help me to um, just show your tender love, Lord, through my experiences and through the words that I have found comforting, Lord. I pray that you would bless um, each one who hears this today, whether they're here in church or watching online, that they would hear something, Lord, that would give them courage to trust you and obey you. In your name I pray, amen. So when a baby is about four to five months of age, Pediatricians start encouraging parents to introduce solid food to their infants. We still have videos and pictures from when Evelyn and Hazel tried, first tried solid food. So that's Evelyn. Um, the first food that Evelyn ever tried was pureed avocado. And it was the funniest thing for Nathan and I to watch her scrunch her nose as she discovered something new. We ask her to make that face again every time she eats avocado now. And then there's a picture of Hazel. There she is. There's Hazel. Do you see yourself? <laughs> Hazel has always been willing to try one of my concoctions at least once. Well, our first experiences giving Evie and Hazel solid food are precious memories that we still laugh about to this day. So as I began to feed Juniper her first solid food, I never thought that this milestone would be any different than it was in the past. It was a normal, chaotic morning in our house back in May of this year. We got up and started eating breakfast, and Juniper had eaten some oatmeal like she had been doing for about five days prior. We went about our routine after breakfast, starting with morning worship, and then we got busy with homeschool. I wish I could say that everything in our house was running smoothly. However, not a day has gone according to my plan in well over a year. Most days, my oldest daughter works very hard on school but gets frustrated by the distractions as she desperately tries to concentrate. 
My middle child is typically doing a myriad of tricks to get the attention that she needs from me. A few hours after our breakfast, Juniper was more fussy than usual. I just thought she was overly tired and ready for a nap. But very soon, my clothes were drenched with a bucket of milk. The first time that she vomited, I dismissed it as just a lot of spit up, as most babies do at any age. I don't squirm at the sight of bodily fluids of any kind since I've spent a number of years as a registered nurse. However, about 10 minutes later, it happened again and again, and I knew that this wasn't normal. I started to clean Junie at our sink and noticed that her face was very pale and her body felt limp. After cleaning her up, I went down to our den and sat on the couch to cuddle and feed her as I collected my thoughts and went through the nursing knowledge that I pushed to the back of my mind ever since staying at home full time. I decided to call Nathan to let him know that I was going to take Junie to the pediatrician when he came home for lunch that day. After I got off the phone, when I laid Junie down on the floor for a diaper change, I noticed that her lips were blue and she was lifeless, but her eyes were open. I vigorously rubbed her sternum and hit the bottom of her foot while yelling her name to try to get her to respond to me, and there was nothing. I dialed 911 and told the dispatcher what had happened as my body and voice shook with fear. I could hear the ambulance coming down our street almost as soon as I told the dispatcher our address. We only live about a half a mile away from the hospital. I scooped Junie up into my arms and ran to unlock the front door, wanting desperately to hand her to someone more skilled than myself. As I waited near the front door for the paramedics, I called Nathan to come home and be with Evie and Hazel. I knew he would be close behind the ambulance since he works at the hospital. Then I explained to Evie and Hazel that they would see an ambulance coming to help Junie. I asked them to pray for her and told them that Daddy would be here with them soon. By the time the paramedics walked through the front door, Junie had perked up and was alert, enough to give them a smile and make a fool out of me. But Nathan and I both knew that she was not well. The paramedics took a few vital signs and said that they would follow me to the emergency room. I drove the half mile to the ER where I foolishly assumed healthcare workers would be waiting for me at the door. I was disappointed, frustrated, and angry that it took a long time to see a triage nurse. I was losing my patience as I watched the nurse slowly taking her vital signs. I was still covered in milk, and Junie had been sitting in a dirty diaper for quite some time, and it felt like nobody cared about the weight upon my shoulders. I would like to say that we got answers that day and had a good plan to care for Junie, but we didn't. On the surface, Junie seemed fine to the doctors and nurses. Her urine and COVID tests were negative, so we were discharged home. I was wrecked with the trauma of that day. I got very little sleep as I researched all night, determined to find out what happened to my baby that day. I finally stumbled upon information that fit the exact description of her symptoms. Child eats trigger food. Almost approximately two hours later, she vomits until shock. Food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome, that's a mouthful still, also known as FPIES, was sounding more frightening with each description and testimonial that I read. 
Unless you're an allergy specialist, uh, most small ER healthcare workers don't know how to recognize or treat kids with FPIs in a timely manner. I became terrified about Junie's health, growth, and development, and about how this would affect our family. I wondered if the pediatrician would refer her to a gastroenterologist or an allergy specialist. I worried about how I would feed my children and add another allergy to our list. I was anxious to travel to see Nathan's family so far away without having an, a hospital in every city. Just the thought of potluck gave me anxiety as I wondered if our family would ever feel the peace of letting our guard down when it comes to food. What if someone offered my kids food while I wasn't looking and it made them sick? There were many worry bubbles clouding my mind. I didn't feel capable or skilled at handling my kids' needs. I thought God had picked the wrong person for this job as their mother. I was desperate to pass my worries, burdens, anxieties, and fears to someone else. My emotions and stress were at an all-time high in the days that would follow. Evie and Hazel came down with fevers just as we were about to travel to Tennessee for a concert and trip to see family. The weather forecast for the areas we would drive through looked severe. We decided to travel after the kids' fevers were gone in hopes that we could enjoy the concert with family. I played meteorologist the entire way down to Franklin, Tennessee, each hour on the radar showed severe storms. I am terrified of tornadoes, so I was prepared at any given moment to tell Nathan to pull over and we would stop our trip. As I watched the hourly radar and the clouds, the storm kept getting pushed later and later into the evening. We made it to our destination without a drop of rain. God was trying to get my attention in regards to my fears and burdens that I was carrying. These burdens were downpouring on my heart. I was barely casting my cares upon him and mostly trying to use my own hands as the umbrella. Everything that I tried to do wasn't working or bringing me peace. I've always been a bit of a scaredy cat. Timid, cautious, jumpy, and on edge. As a child, I was scared to sleep in my own bed well into my teens. I was scared of the doctor's office, the dentist's office, and any other appointment that may cause a little pain. I've been scared of flying and scared of heights, especially bridges. And now as a mother of three, we are outnumbered and don't have enough arms or padding in our home to keep them all safe at the same time. Motherhood and middle age has opened the floodgates of my fears. I've wrestled with fear for my family, our church, my friends, our world, and myself. But quite frankly, I'm tired of the fear and anxiety controlling every decision that I make. It has held me back from a purposeful and peaceful life with the Lord. Facing these challenges has been difficult, embarrassing at times, and painful. However, I'm in the process of learning how to tune my radio to the Lord's station to find out how to ride out these storms. If you read even an ounce of news these days, you know that it's difficult to escape every headline that plays on our fears. Fear of war, fear of famine, fear of political parties, fear of disease, you name it. While writing this sermon, guess what the first headline was on my Facebook news feed? Zoo closed, snake hunt on, 
after Houdini, the clever King Cobra, escapes enclosure. We can't even enjoy the zoo anymore without worrying about a lurking cobra. Fortunately, Sweden is the country that has to worry about that at the moment. A quick search on the internet yields a substantial amount of research that is all in agreement about the science of fear. Fear and danger alert our nervous system and set our response to that fear in motion. Cortisol and adrenaline, our stress hormones, are released. Our blood pressure, heart rate, and respirations increase. Blood flow changes direction and travels into our limbs, so it's easier to either throw a punch or run for our lives. As part of our brain revving up, there are other parts that are actually shutting down. Our cerebral cortex, which is used for reasoning and judgment, become impaired, and it's difficult to make good decisions or think clearly and critically. Fear can quite literally paralyze us, as well as sabotage our joy, peace, love, and purpose. We shouldn't dwell in that muck for long, because God has a work for us to do, and he needs a people who trust him implicitly, obey him completely, and worship him only. Trust and obedience are the antidotes for all of our fears. As I said earlier, fear is not a stranger anymore since I became a mother. If you're familiar with our multi-level house, then you may be able to picture me being upstairs with one child while the other is on another level. Try as I may to keep all of my ducklings in a row, they are all over our house and into everything. And just as soon as I turn my back, someone is crying because they are hurt. Typically, I respond by running to the screaming daughter, adrenaline and cortisol flooding my system, and my cerebral cortex on vacation. And most of the time, the first things out of my mouth is, this is why I told you to stop doing gymnastics in the house. Or something very similar. If I was thinking clearly and making a good decision, maybe I would assess the level of urgency first and then respond with more appropriate actions. God knows that there are wild animals loose at the zoo. Not the literal zoo, but the spiritual chaos that we are entangled. And it's mentioned in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. On the horizon, we can see a swell of fear headed our way, but we can put on this armor of God. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. If you haven't noticed yet, Satan hates Christians, and his behavior is described as making war with the saints. 
He's using military tactics and has just about mastered the art and science of this battle on land, sea, and air. His approach to combat is to flex his muscles and to bare his teeth. Other times he is quiet as a stealth bomber until it meets its target. He knows that when we are fear-filled, we may lose sight of whom to cast all our cares upon and try to fight this battle with our own strength. In the book of Judges, we find another battle similar to our own. Like any good war movie, I'm going to start by showing you the battlefield. You may have heard of Gideon, a warrior ruler who remained faithful to God during one of Israel's many rebellions. Gideon's army was whittled down to 300 valiant men who showed courage and determination. They trusted and obeyed God. The Israelite army began as 32,000 soldiers. But the Lord said to Gideon in Judges 7-2, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. What started off as 32,000 soldiers got down to only 300 at the battle with the Midianites. God gave Gideon's army a series of tests. First, he had Gideon send home the soldiers who were afraid and didn't trust God. So I'm going to do a little math here. Follow along and I'll try to go slowly because it's hard for me to to do much math. 32,000 total soldiers minus 22,000 soldiers who were afraid and didn't trust God equals how many soldiers? 10,000 soldiers. Is that right, everybody? Okay. Then he had Gideon send home the soldiers who were not vigilant when taking a drink of water. They were thinking of themselves and took a long drink of water without looking up. So 10,000 soldiers minus 9,700 soldiers who were not vigilant equals how many? 300 unafraid, vigilant, selfless soldiers whom God could use for the battle against the Midianites. On the other hand, the Bible says that the Midianites and Amalekites were as numerous as locusts and that their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in Judges 7 verse 12. Their armies were massive and probably equipped with the weapons of that day. Mathematically, armies that are numerous as locusts don't usually get the less than symbol up against an army with 300 soldiers carrying a torch, a clay pitcher, and a trumpet. God is not limited by our human equations. The Lord was with Gideon and the Israelite soldiers and fulfilled his promise to be with that mighty man of valor. Ellen White said in Patriarchs and Prophets that success does not depend upon numbers. God can deliver by few as well as by many. He is honored not so much by the great numbers as by the character of those who serve him. And that's from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 550. Gideon could have been afraid of the quantity and the strength of the Midianites, and God knew how to help him through that fear. 
God told Gideon to walk into the enemy's camp where he would overhear a Midianite saying something that would help him to not be afraid. Gideon heard a Midianite soldier tell another soldier that he dreamt that a loaf of barley bread tumbled into their camp and it overturned a tent and collapsed it. Gideon knew this was a sign that God would help his small army win against a large army. He trusted God and obeyed his commands, even though by his human eye, the outlook didn't appear promising for the Israelites. It was not by might or by power that the Midianites were defeated, but by the spirit of the Lord. There were more ways that God helped Gideon to build his trust and courage if we look to the book of Judges. The book of Judges describes what happened after the Israelites entered the promised land. There was still much land to be claimed, but the Lord left some to test the Israelites. The Lord brought them out of Egypt and they were still disobedient and idolatrous people. They did not resist the devil. The Bible describes the Israelites during Gideon's rule as forsaking the Lord God of their fathers, doing evil in the sight of the Lord and worshiping idols. Judges 21.25 says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Maybe you've heard this familiar quote before. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. This seems to describe the Israelites' constant posture of oppression due to their sin and rebellion. They frequently forgot what the Lord had done and would fall back into their own ways of apostasy and idolatry. So God let Israel's enemies, the Midianites, oppressed them, and he allowed them to destroy their sustenance. The Bible says that Israel was greatly impoverished. After seven years of trouble with the Midianites and Amalekites, the Israelites finally prayed to God, asking for help while hiding in their dens, caves, and mountains. God found Gideon threshing wheat in the wine press and told him of the plan to help the Israelites. Gideon wanted to be sure that God would help him. He was humble, not proud, and knew that he could not defeat the Midianites in his own power. There were a few ways that the Lord strengthened Gideon's trust in him even before the gathering of the army. God told Gideon to take down the idol, Baal. The idol needed to be gone before God could help his people. God needed his people to know Who was really helping them out of their desolation? During the night, Gideon obeyed God and destroyed the idol. How can the Lord help us when we have other gods before him, whom we've put our trust in? Maybe like me, you've trusted in your own abilities. When Junie needed my help, my nursing knowledge seemed to go right out the window. I trusted in doctors, nurses, my own intelligence to pull Junie and I through a difficult time, and none of these things calmed my anxieties. God helped me to see that I've been putting my trust in way too many people other than him. Others may trust in their bank account to get them through future troubles or a turbulent economy. Maybe you trust in what you've accumulated in treasure. There are many more examples that I could come up with of things that you and I put our trust in, but surely 
If we have not gone to God first, then our idols, like Baal, will still be standing. Wouldn't we rather have a warrior ruler like Jesus leading us instead of our idols? God also performed a miracle for Gideon in order to strengthen his trust and calm his fears. One night, God answered Gideon's request by making a fleece wet when the ground was dry. On another night, the fleece was dry when the ground was wet. And most likely, Gideon remembered and recalled these events as he faced the battle with the Midianites. God has brought us through trials and defeated our enemies before, and he can dissipate our fears when we remember what he has done for us. We have seen miracles time and time again, and Ellen White says that we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teachings in our past history. We have to remember and recall the battles that we have fought and the Lord helped us to win. Let us write them down and put them in a place that we will always remember to never forget the Lord's victories in our lives. In order to overcome our fears, we must also hide scripture in our hearts and memorize God's promises. When our fears come too close for comfort, we need to claim the scriptures and pray away the negativity and the sways of the devil. Back when I was in my early days of nursing on an orthopedic and neuro hospital unit and fresh out of nursing school, I was very scared. I wrote down the prayer of Jabez on a note card and carried it in my pocket whenever I was working my shift. First Chronicles 4.10 says, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. There were many times when that Bible verse gave me courage and reminded me that God was with me, helping me to care for my patients. I would also sing a lullaby song on my way to work, inspired by scripture from Philippians 4, 6. Don't you worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. And the peace of God, far beyond what we can understand, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Last but not least, in shielding us from our worries and fears while we're in a battle is to put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 14 through 20 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The following are more scriptures to pray over and memorize if you are like me and struggle with fear and trust. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Psalm 23, 4, 
Ye, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Hebrews 13, 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Proverbs 3, 25 through 26, do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Psalm 91, 5 through 6, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Psalm 56.3, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Juniper is growing, developing, and eating just fine at 10 months old. She has over 10 safe foods that she can eat, and I know the list will continue to grow, slowly but surely. Day by day, one food at a time, God has helped build my confidence that she will be okay, and we pray that she grows out of these allergies someday. I recently came across an Instagram post by the Adventist Church that said seven reasons why we needn't fear, and here they are. Jehovah Jireh is our provider when we have nothing. Jehovah Shalom is our source of peace when life is overwhelming. Jehovah Rapha is our healer when we are sick. El Shaddai is all-powerful when we are weak. Elohim is everlasting and unchanging when seasons of life change. Emmanuel is with us when we feel alone. And seven, Jehovah Nissi is our banner of hope when the world is dark. God is the one to run to with all of our fears. He is the only one who can help us in our times of trouble. Our fears can paralyze us and cause us to turn from the Lord or turn against each other. Life can change in an instant. We can be rowing merrily along when the sea billows roll and we are overcome with worry. When we are faced with fear, let us remember to trust and obey God. Remember his victories and miracles of the past. Hide his words as treasures in our hearts. And may we shield ourselves with the armor of God so that we can overcome any storm that lies ahead. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.